This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I'm really excited to have the guest that we have on tonight. It is Omar Khan of Sacktown Royalty. Um, this is a guy who I have often described as superior to myself in basketball knowledge, and I will double down on that tonight. Um, we've talked about this Kings season pretty, pretty in depth, and he's brought up a lot of points that I think are very wise. So I just wanted to get him on the show, and I know that. Uh, you've spoken with him many times before as well, Brendan. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to have this guy this guy on. Welcome, welcome, Omer. How are you doing tonight? Thanks, guys. Um, thanks for that uh, glorious introduction. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to live up to that, <laughs> but it's good to be here. Good to talk with you guys. Um, I know I'm, I'm a big fan of you guys' podcast, so happy to be on. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, man. And uh... – Obviously, you know, during that 0-5 stretch, I think there were exceptions, but effort was a big issue. And then they won the two most recent games, um, which you could point maybe a bit towards the other team's shortcomings. Uh, Utah played a very off game, and we know what the Knicks are. But what was what were some of the positives that you saw in the game that happened yesterday north of the border that Sacramento ended up losing 124-120? I kind of look at the season as um... – a continuum of sorts. Um, I don't try to look at, um, I try not to focus too much on um, one particular game or another. Um, I like to look at, to see, I look at, I like to look at the whole thing to see just kind of how's the season flowing? What's, um, what's the progress with the team? Are they, are they getting better? And so um, judging by how the season started, I mean, they started 0 and 3, they had the, the blowout to um, Phoenix, they got blown out by Utah, and uh, they weren't particularly close against Portland either. And um, then moving forward, I felt like um, things were start things were starting to settle in. Um, then you had the um, you had the uh, I thought a very positive effort against Denver. Um, the offense was off, but the defense was leagues better. And then um, and then you had a slight dip against Charlotte. And then, um, then the the few games that we've been talking that you just mentioned, um, you had the two wins, which were um, I thought also positive efforts, and um, and then you also had yesterday's game, which was I thought also a 
a good step forward. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, it's obviously not a finished product yet. I don't think that anybody in the Kings organization will tell you it's a finished product yet. But um, overall, I'm pretty satisfied with how um, the improvements that they're making. Obviously, they started in a hole and nobody really expected that. Um, whatever you want to point to the reason for them being so behind in the first place. But um, afterwards, you know, just show me progress. Just show me that um, the coach is installing the system that he wants. Show me that the players are um, taking and um, internalizing the system. Show me that um, the young guys are uh, improving their skill set. They're improving their weaknesses from last year. So um, it's kind of I, I kind of take the season as a whole. Um, in a flow as opposed to like, well, this is what they did right here. And this is what they did wrong here. Um, I'm not sure if that, I mean, I'm totally making sense if I'm completely coherent or not, but um, that's kind of how I feel about it. No. Yeah. That, I think that makes plenty of sense. You don't want to go all in based on any given night. You don't want to go all in and say, you know, the Kings blow out the Knicks and be like, Hey, the Kings are a playoff team based on this night. That's and that's it. And you don't want to say, "Hey, the Kings got embarrassed uh, away on a, a back-to-back against the Jazz, and so this team's going to win 19 games." Let's you know, let's start the tank right now. So that's totally fair. But one thing that I think that you have noticed, and I have certainly noticed, and Brandon has certainly noticed. Um, and I also think was highlighted very well by a tweet from Touchdown Al on Twitter. Uh, he's at Touchdown underscore Al. Is that this team, in more in a more macro sense, we've noticed it all year long, and we've noticed it from what Luke has been saying, Luke Walton, uh, that this team is definitely, definitely, definitely focusing on the half court. And that's probably – it's fair to say that is coming with a significant sacrifice to the transition game that was so electric for the Kings of last season. What are your thoughts on that shift in focus? Right, right. And I know this is a really big, thorny point of contention for a lot of Kings fans that um, they're just flat out not playing with the same pace as they did last year. And um, I think that's a function of a couple of things. I think that number one, um, <clears throat> playing as fast as they did last year, it's not just simply a matter of, um, of the coach saying, Hey, take the ball and run. Um, their, their speed last year was extremely organized. And um, I forgot who had a video on it. I think it was, I think it was the ringer that um, they came out with the video and they showed like how the Kings were spacing out the floor, um, how they were, um, how they were organizing their fast breaks. And um, not only that, but then you also have to spend extra time working on conditioning. You have to make sure that your players are, are ready to run in the game constantly. So when you're talking about this particular preseason, um, it's already, you've already lost a week because of the trip in India. And, um, you you have a choice basically like you have a finite amount of time and you can decide what you want to work on do you want to install this fast break system that they did last year and um and go from there or 
Do you want to work on the basics? Do you want to work on installing the defensive system? Do you want to work on making sure that um, everything that he wants to get done in the half court is is being worked on sufficiently? So I think it was just a strategic calculation on um, Luke Walton's part that, well, let's install the basics first. Let's make sure that um, we're getting better in the half court. Um, let's make sure that they know what kind of reads they need to make, make sure that they know the different um, sets. And um, and Luke's offensive system is the one that he's installed right now. It's not very complicated at all. Like, I know a lot of people have been complaining about, oh, there's too much iso ball. There's not a fall movement. But um, that's kind of a function of how Luke wants to play. He wants the players to be a little more ad hoc. He wants them to improvise on the fly based off principles as opposed to diagramming complex sets like Dave Yeager did last year. Um, Luke talked about that, and uh, Darren even talked about that in an interview where he said that um, last year Dave Yeager was basically calling a play every single time down the court, whereas Luke is just kind of letting them go. And um, so that takes a little bit of work um, to understand, like, okay, when the defender is in this position, I need to cut back door. When the defender is um, playing me under the screen, I need to go this way. Um, there is, there's all kinds of, like, different reads that you have to make in a free-flowing offense that you wouldn't otherwise have to do in a scripted offense. And so... Um, it can look a bit ugly at times, but this is what Luke's chosen to work on. This is what um, this is the kind of offense that he wants to run. And so you go back to the you go back to the point where um, you only have a little limited amount of training camp time, and um, he he decided like you know I want to work on these principles first, and then later on once we have this down, then we can work on speeding up the game and making sure that they're getting out in the fast break and making sure they're they're properly conditioned to run for 48 minutes a game. And focusing on that offense a bit, I think clearly at the beginning of the year, it was a bit more stagnant than I feel like we have seen recently. Um, it feels like obviously there is a lot of, you know, coming off screens or a small pick and roll that it, if something isn't going correctly, then you move it to the next guy and the next guy drives and kicks and it seems like that they're moving it left and right a little bit more have you seen have you seen that same progress on the offensive end and also I feel like this has caused Fox to try to um, advance his playmaking in a way that will be good for him long term but is leading to a good amount of turnovers right now would you agree with that I think I agree with that I do agree with that um when Luke's offense is heavily dependent on the guards. Um, Dave Yeager liked to run a lot of a lot of sets from the bigs and the high post, and get a lot of cutting going from um, from the big men. But um, in Luke's system, it's a lot more pick and roll based. Um, I think I read it. I saw a tweet. I forgot who posted it. Um, but the Kings were among the league leaders in uh, pick and, and ball screen um, volume uh, frequency. That's the right word. So uh, the Kings are running ball screen actions a lot more this year than they were last year. So that does mean, like you mentioned, that um, you you run a screen roll and then um, when things die, then you swing it 
um, and that swing that swing pass that read um, it wasn't there at the beginning of the year because they weren't comfortable in that system yet. They weren't comfortable in a system that emphasizes guards making plays as opposed to bigs. And so um, as the season goes on, you'll start seeing the players make those reads a lot faster. And um, we're starting to see it a little bit right now, actually. I think that the offense has been a lot less stagnant. Um, they're still they're generating a lot of great looks. Um, they're generating uh, open shots from three. That's why they're taking so many threes because they're getting so many open threes. So um, I think that, that those are positive progressions. And um, as for De'Aaron Fox, um, I definitely agree with you that um, that he's definitely been very uh, focused on his passing, um, and it hasn't been pretty at times. Last night he had what seven turnovers. Um, he's had a couple of really high. He has he has a few very high turnover games, like five turnovers, six turnovers, and um, I think that's part of his progression in the half court. Um, he has to understand that. Well, I'm the best shot creator on the floor for my team. So um, finding that pass shoot then is always a difficult thing for um, for point guards because you're kind of brought up as the point guard. You're like, oh, you know, I need to get my teammates involved. But um, you also need to have that mental switch where you have to sense what you're, you have to sense when your team needs a basket. And um, I always felt like um, De'Aaron is best when he's looking for his shot first. And um, when the defense is forced to rotate and um, try to bring extra help to cover him, to get him, to prevent him from getting to his spot, that's when you find the open man and you swing the ball and that's when you get open shots. And um, De'Aaron's been so fast his whole life. He's just been like several gears ahead of everybody that he's never really had to consistently work on making those half-court reads. So um, I think what we're seeing is growing pains, honestly. Um, We're just seeing a young 21-year-old point guard who's used to just blasting at blasting at full speed um, for his entire career up until now, now learning that, hey, look, I'm not going to be able to do that every single time. So um, I'm being put in a position where I have to learn these new, this new way to play basically in the half court. And yeah, it, it looks ugly at times, but I, I think that it's kind of like necessary for him to make that next step. Yeah. I, you know, just to go into some numbers here, um, last year, the Kings took 21% of their shots in transition. And this year it's down to 14 and a half percent um so that means that in the half court they're up to 85 percent of their shots uh coming in the half court and you know i i think that we can chalk up some of the struggles if not a a majority of the offensive struggles to growing pains there you know with the emphasis on the half court and you know that that does kind of put more responsibility on fox and a different kind of responsibility because it's not just use your natural God-given gifts to make things happen. It's, you know, you've got to use your, you got to use your vision and you've got to use your playmaking ability. And that aligns with what we heard from Fox in the preseason saying that his number one focus 
over the the time uh, training with the team and over the offseason was improving his passing, um, which came as a little bit of a surprise because I think that there were in the in the modern age you can pretty I feel like it's pretty safe to say to the media yeah I'm just working on my shot or you know I, I'm just working on uh, you know staying. Uh, uh, in shape and, and keep making sure that I'm ready to run when the, for the season to start. So his focus seemed to be on when he's put in that position to be the pick and roll ball handler. He's got to know what to do. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I don't know how well it's working because the transition game in terms of points per possession last season were very good for the Kings. They scored uh, 1.128 points per possession for the eighth best mark in the league. And that, you know, I don't really need to give those numbers to anybody. Everyone knows this team was good in transition. Uh, and it, but in the half court, they weren't terrible. Uh, they were 20th out of 30 teams this year. Transition points per possession down to 21st and half court also down significantly to 26th, just generating under nine points, uh, 0.9 points per possession. So, you know, I got to wonder if you take out those first three games, if those numbers improve, because you made some really good points about the half court game in Toronto. They're definitely generating a ton of open shots. Uh, I said it before, but touchdown Al brought it up. Uh, I believe they're about fourth or uh, top five there in number of open shots generated. I can find those numbers in a second, or you can search that on Twitter, but there, there's no question they're getting a ton of open shots. Um, do you think that that strategy makes more sense for the Kings in the long term? Yeah, honestly, um, if you're trying to, <clears throat> your strategy right now has to, has to uh, lead up to a goal. And I think that um, running all the time, it's it's good for the regular season, but it is a bit gimmicky because um, I honestly felt like the team was a bit figured out last year. Um, they, they jumped out to a fast start because they were just better conditioned than everybody else. And they just ran past everybody else. Teams were gassed in the fourth quarter and they would keep eking out these wins just because they were, they would just outlast the teams. It was a game of attrition, so to speak. So at the end of the year, um, they started struggling. I know uh, Tony Zipteris, he's also a Sacramento Realty writer. He looked it up the last, um, the last 20 games, they went eight and 12. So not, not horrible, horrible, not like, oh my God, we're challenging for the number one pick horrible. But still, like, it's a far cry from where you want to be. So when you look at what weaknesses you have and you want to, you look at, um, you look at the struggles in the half court offense, you look at the struggles in the defensive end, that's what's, that's being effective in those two avenues is what works in the playoffs. So if you want to be a team that wants to go deep in the playoffs, you've got to be good in the half court. You've got to be able to play defense. And um, playing a gimmicky style, um, while it might be good for some thrills in the regular season, it's just not as it's not a sustainable way to uh, develop your players. 
And I think that was one of the frustrations with Dave Yeager is that, well, yeah, they're they're out there running, but um, they're not really getting better in the half court. They're not really getting better defensively. They're not showing enough progress on those ends. They should have showed more progress on those ends from um, Darren Fox's first season to the second season. And really the only difference was that, well, um, that the pace of the pace of the game was so much faster um, between season one of Darren, uh, between Darren's rookie season and Darren's second season. So I think that um, as a team, you want to look at what your ultimate goal is going to be, and um, you want to start out. Um, you want to start out on the right foot. You don't want to skip steps. And um, you know, as a rebuilding team, that can be frustrating, but at the same time, um, in this NBA, a rebuilding is just as much about developing talent as it is about finding talent. And um, if you want to develop your talent right, you have to start off on the right foot. And so I think that um, this is a very calculated gamble from Luke and Vlade in that um, they're taking a, a step back in order to make sure that um, they're on the they're taking a step back to make sure that the process is right going forward. And um, I don't think that they expect it to be this bad this early. Um, there's a lot of reasons why um, things have been <laughs> a lot of, I feel like there've been a lot of like um, unlucky breaks, um, a lot of scheduling quirks with the whole trip to India, kind of taking a week away from their, off, from their uh, preseason and their training camp. And the Bagley injury all coalescing together, and it's all kind of gone to hell. So I don't think they expected it to be this bad. But at the same time, I think that um, the the strategy is sound. Um, in that, if you want to build a championship team, you've got to be good at these things, and these are the things that you want to be working on from the very beginning. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, I do see that a bit. And, you know, the offense, in a way, is starting to remind me a bit of Golden State with obviously a lot less talent. Um, Like you're saying, a lot of it is relying on the guards. There's a lot of driving in and we've identified buddy heel before as being a specialist now he's elite at what he is special in 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 shooting the the long ball and shooting in general but do you feel like this could um hurt buddy healed in a way offensively this year asking him to do a little bit more with the ball and be a part of this offense um and I think we're also seeing it help someone that's more of a Swiss army knife on offense, like a Harrison Barnes and Bielita on offense as well. But how do you think it fares for buddy where he really specializes in that one aspect of shooting the ball? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I think that Buddy has a little bit more talent off the dribble than um, a lot of fans give him credit for. Um, he he is elite at uh, shooting the shooting the three off the dribble. Um, I think only um, Damian Lillard and uh, Paul George and Steph Curry last year. I forgot the entire list of players, but there was only a handful of players who were who shot a higher percentage shooting off shooting threes off the dribble. So um, the his passing game obviously needs a lot of work. Um, his handle isn't the tightest, but um, I think that. In terms of this offense, um, I think it, it's good for Buddy in some ways, and um, he has to make adjustments in others. It's good for him in the sense that he has the greenest light in his career to shoot threes. And uh, um, he's averaging a career high in attempts. Um, he was leading the NBA in three-pointers made um, a couple of days ago when I last looked it up. I think maybe Lillard might have passed him up since then. But um, in in that sense that, the offense is emphasizing what he's best at is shooting the rock. And um, there's plenty of off ball movement that he can take advantage of to generate those shots. But um, the things that he does need to get better in is his off the dribble game, making decisions. And uh, he can get a little bit casual with his handle. Uh, He can get really sloppy. Uh, Sometimes he makes bad reads. Uh, Some of his passes are really telegraphed. So those are the areas that he can really clean up. I don't think he'll ever be like, Dwayne Wade off the dribble, like attacking the basket and um, dishing it out. But um, I think he could be good enough to be like your third-ish option um, when you have uh, both Fox and Marvin Bagley on the court. And um, and I think that he could develop good chemistry with Bogdan Bogdanovich when he comes off the bench because Bogdan is a very skilled pick-and-roll player. Um, he's proven that he can make plays off the dribble. So um, I do agree with you that um, there are there are ways that he there are some things that he needs to get better at, and um, there are ways that Luke Walton's offense might not be completely ideal for him. But I do think that he'll settle in. He'll clean up the things that um, he'll clean up like the the sloppiness parts that of his game that he needs to clean up, and um, I think that. Um, the other parts of Luke Walton's offense that emphasizes his shooting and his scoring ability. Um, I think that that he will really shine when it comes to that. So I am a fan of Buddy Heald. I think that he's, you know, there's no point in going over how incredible of a shooter he is. Um, We, we understand that, but one criticism that I've levied against him is that he really just doesn't get to the line, um, like at all. Uh, you brought up Dwayne Wade, not as like a perfect comparison, but but just threw that name out there, and I thought that was interesting because he's a a shooting guard that was known for getting to the line, and he had multiple years where he was attempting over ten free throws a game. Um, he never, not even in the waning years of his career, got down to the the averages and free throws that Buddy is at at his best, has been at his best. Um, Buddy, last year was his career high in free throws per game at 2.4. This year he's down to 1.3. And baked into that is, you know, him taking free throws off technical. So he's he's not – 
a guy that gets to the line like at all. Do you see that as a significant weakness to his game? And how do you think that will play into this team going forward? Well, I think that with Buddy, um, he's kind of he kind of is what he is at this point. He's 27 years old. This is what his fourth season in the NBA. He's he's already secured a second contract. Um, I don't see him ever adding like a strong to the basket game, get to the free throw line. I think that's a bit of a pipe dream. Um, I think you kind of have to take Buddy as he is. He's a great shooter, like probably top three, top two ish in the NBA. Um, he can score off the dribble. Not an amazing passer. Um, enough ball handling ability to get a shot off. And that's what he is. And expecting him to be more, I think, is um, asking too much of him. So I, I, it's hard for me to call it a weakness because um, the, the ability to draw fouls is like something that is, is uh, emblematic of the best players in the NBA. Like that's, that's who gets to the line. Um, that's like the LeBron Jameses of the world. It's um, like I mentioned, the Dwayne Wade's of the world. Um, I don't think that Buddy is ever going to reach that level. I don't know if I'd call it a weakness. I just think that um, that's just something he's never going to bring to the table. Just a quick follow-up. I mean, you know, I think that you have said that you're a pretty optimistic guy and like to look at things, try to find the bright side of things. But just to challenge you a little bit and just to push back a little bit, does he have a weakness? I mean, does is he a player without weaknesses? Or I, I just I want to, you know, you said that he's not a terrible passer and he's you know he can dribble enough. Um, and we haven't talked nearly much as not, enough as we should about defense. I'd like to get to that in a little bit. But to me, Buddy is a, a player with really obvious weaknesses. Um, do you just disagree with that? I mean, I guess it just depends on what you're expecting out of him. Um, just the other day, I'm at, at um, my where I'm working. Um, we we had this team building exercise and. Um, Basically, we took a test where they talked about like, oh, you know, what's this, what's everybody's individual strength? And then I I asked the question, well, what about everybody's weaknesses? Shouldn't be working on people's weaknesses? And he said that it's way more cost efficient to improve your strengths if your weaknesses are not getting in the way. So in that sense, um, our buddy's weakness is getting in the way of the Kings in this. I think you can make an argument that number one, it is because, well, you know, he's not, he's not like carrying them to wins, but on the other flip side is, are, is that what we're expecting out of buddy healed? Um, he got a pretty significant contract extension, but it was far less than the max. And I think that's the Kings acknowledging that, yes, this guy is important to our core, but he's not going to be like a superstar level player. So in the sense that like Buddy has weaknesses, 
um, on offense anyway. On defense is a different story, and we can we can go into the defense in a bit. But on offense, when we're talking about like you know the crisp ball handling, the passing ability, um, is it a weakness for him that he's not like a top five, top ten, top fifteen type player in this NBA? I don't I don't think I don't consider that a weakness. I just think that. That's just not something he brings to the table, and I think it's unrealistic to expect him to bring to that bring that to the table. That's something you would expect, like you know, De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley to bring to the table. So, um, I guess that's an optimistic take to it. But at the same time, I think that um, realistically, like if you're building a team, you have to understand well, you know, what can we realistically expect out of Buddy Hield. Yeah, and I think that, you know, not getting to the free throw line, not getting to the rim when he's not in there to be the primary playmaker for others, uh, he can get away with. But a guy that in Bogdanovich that he often when he is in there, especially this year, is running the offense. How do you feel about him not getting to the rim much this year and last year also um, and his adjustment to this system? I think that for Bogdanovich, it is a bigger issue because, um, you know, you're expecting him to be an on-the-ball playmaker a lot more of the time. Um, the ball is going to be his hands. He's going to be coming off those screens. He's going to be attacking the rim. It, um, and especially if he's if his uh, jumper isn't falling like it hasn't for a good portion of this season, um, you need you need him to be able to generate some kind of offense. And so um, I can see that being a hindrance to Bogdanovich's game because um, just as a function of his role and um, and what's expected of him to help the team. But um, I don't think that uh, you can levy the same thing for Buddy because it's just not expected of him. Okay. I, I get what you're saying. I do. I. I get what you're saying, but I wonder if it's a semantics argument about what we're like, you know, what I might call a weakness. You would just term as something that you are not expecting from a player. Um, so I'll, I'll move on, but I, well, I won't fully move on because I, I thought it was really interesting what you said about, you know, in your, where you, you know, in your, in your workplace, they made a comment about, how it's more cost effective to focus on strengths rather than improving weaknesses, right? It seems right. like that's an interesting thing to bring up when it seems like Walton and the team's focus right now is is not cost effective. It's cost prohibitive in that they are specifically focusing on improving weaknesses. Um you know, with regards to the half court offense. Um, it seems like they are going away from the strength, the obvious strength of transition, going to the half court, focusing on that. And hmm, I, I don't know if there's anything to that analogy that I'm making there, but I am just, I am concerned because Bogey, with the exception of last night when his shot was falling, he's been struggling. Um, Buddy, really, with the exception of last night, uh, he's been struggling quite a bit. I think that it is, to me, it's a little bit concerning to 
to not acknowledge the weaknesses of this team. And I'll move on from that somewhat to talk more about Bogdanovich here. I wonder, do you think that it's really working for him to run the second unit offense, for him to be a primary initiator? Because we've been seeing it for a while now that he really dribbles the air out of the ball and really forces stuff. Um, it's tough because he looked so great on that World Cup team, and we've, we, he looked great as a rookie for the Kings. But there seems to be a disconnect, and I can't help but wonder if he would be better playing more off ball more frequently. And, you know, I do feel much more confident him, in him as a spot-up shooter than a uh, off-the-dribble shooter. Would you agree with any of that? You know, sometimes it's okay with a couple dribbles, but any more than that, I think it starts to get muddy. Really quickly to add to that and what I saw last night, uh, he made four threes in that fourth quarter, and he only took one dribble on all four of those threes. I felt like it was a great stretch he had, and it was him playing off ball, like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree with you, and um, I'll get to that in a minute, but um, just to – just to kind of like wrap up um, the whole point about working on your strengths versus working on your weaknesses. Um, the analogy, the, uh, the analogy that they, my workplace gave to me was that first he asked me to write a word 10 times using my right hand and then write, write the same word um, with my left hand. And obviously it took a way lot longer for me to write it with my left hand since I'm a right-handed person. So and then um, the coach, he asked me, he said, do you think it makes more sense to work on writing with your right hand versus writing with your left hand? And me being myself thought, well, you know, I feel like working on your left hand would be better because um, that's my weakness and it would probably be better to get up to scratch. And he said that it's actually more efficient to work on your right hand and make it better because the, the realm of situations where you work where you'd have to use your left hand to write are so small that there's just no practical benefit to it. So when he's saying that like work on your strengths as opposed to work on your weaknesses, it's not a categorical idea that you never, you never work on your weaknesses at all. It's just acknowledging that sometimes your weaknesses are just your weaknesses and um, they're just, and working on them offers you no practical benefit. When it comes to the Kings, um, working on the half court and uh, working on their defense, they it's going to hinder them through the course of the season, especially if they want to be a playoff team, and doubly so if they want to like compete for a championship one day. So that's something you have to work on. Whereas um, if it's just a if it's just a weakness, like for example, Buddy Heald's ball handling ability, that isn't necessarily getting in the way in terms of um, Buddy's role in the offense, which is to provide shooting and scoring and spacing. Um, if it's not getting in the way, it's much more cost-effective for Buddy to not spend too much time trying to become, you know, like LeBron James or Dwayne Wade off the dribble, as opposed to just being solid in that area. And, um, being and maximizing what he's actually good at, which is uh, the three-point shooting and the scoring. So, and moving on to Bogdanovich, um, I actually, I was starting to, <laughs> I was actually having a lot of doubts 
um, into the second quarter when Bogdanovich was starting off a bit slow, I was I was thinking to myself, maybe, you know, like maybe the on-ball role just isn't for him in the NBA. Maybe like for whatever reason, he can't get up, get the separation that he needs to. And then something kind of interesting happened. I thought that the Kings ran a lot more offense through Corey Joseph. Like he shared a lot more ball handling responsibility. And uh, so they had Corey Joseph run a lot more pick and rolls and like attack off the dribble. And I thought, I thought he did a pretty decent job. Um, I wasn't really expecting him to be a big time um, shot creator off the dribble. I thought that he was supposed to be, you know, like Bogdanovich support off the bench. But I thought he handled the role pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see going forward. And um, one of the most interesting things about the box score last night, um, Bogdanovich took 12 shots. 11 of them were three-pointers. So, and um, like Brendan noted, um, most of his most of his threes um, in the fourth quarter, they didn't require any dribbles. So I do wonder if that's kind of like a bit of a shift in his role off the bench in that um, the Kings are going to focus more on um, trying to share the ball handling duties between um, Corey Joseph and Bogdanovich as opposed to like letting Bogdan dominate the offense for uh, 20, 21 seconds out of the shot clock every possession. Yeah, I like that a lot. I I saw that in the Portland Trailblazers game, uh, second game of the year. Kojo was was initiating a lot of the offense in the second half, and he was paired with Bogey, but Bogey was off ball. And, you know, I I actually talked with Corey Joseph about this, and he said that, you know, that's the role he's most comfortable with. He's been a point guard his whole life. He's been initiating offenses his whole life. And, you know, that basically how he was thinking about it, or at least that night how he was thinking about it was his first kind of read if something was, you know, if there wasn't an obvious option was to get it to bogey and kind of, you know, reset and let, and let bogey dribble a little bit. But, um, you know, and obviously look to him for open shots as well. I think we might have something there because it's it's been like 50 games. I went back and looked uh, across not just this season, but going back into the second half of last last season, across like 50 games, exactly 50 games, Bogey shot only 39% from the floor, you know, a, a respectable 35% from three. But it's really been bad. And before last night, I saw Tim Maxwell had posted that with a certain threshold of a, a small number of attempts in the season, Bogey is bottom five, was bottom five in field goal percentage on the year so far. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, might, I might really support uh, Corey Joseph handling the ball more off the bench. Um, what do you think about that, Brendan? I definitely agree with that. I, I think that Bogey tends to force a little much, whether it be because he feels a a weight on his shoulders in that second unit looking around who's on the floor with him, then he needs to be the creation. But um, yeah, I, I think that Joseph is capable of doing that. And they seem to have Barnes in there with the bench unit as well. So I think getting to a little bit more of that movement and having Bogey not feel that same sort of responsibility there um, could definitely be beneficiary for him. I think we've seen it a couple of times, like you sort of mentioned, 
But um, I think is that all that you have for the offense, um, Rich, or are you good to move on to the defense here a little bit? I got one other comment here, and it can it can transition into defense, uh, but I just think that there's it's worth noting that Bogey's been coming off the bench behind Omer Khan's favorite player, Trevor Ariza, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that we, you and I, Brendan, have kind of identified that. Uh, the reason for that being that Bogey, they're trying to put the ball in Bogey's hands when he gets in the game. So it, it would be kind of uh, redundant to the current plan to bring Bogey on as the sixth man because the ball is still going to be in Fox's hands, right? So, I mean, does that – would that uh, – that kind of makes some sense to help explain why Aries is the first guy uh, in the sub because it doesn't take the ball out of Fox's hands. But but let's let's throw that to the side for a second and talk about Trevor Ariza. You can talk about his offense and his defense, Omer. You're the biggest Ariza stand I know. Break it down for us, brother. <laughs> okay. Um, I, if you guys aren't in on the joke, um, I changed my uh, my Twitter name, not the handle, but like the actual like name to Trevor Ariza Apologist. It's also so, not a joke. So. <laughs> it's not a joke. It's not a joke. I feel like he gets ragged on too much by King's Twitter. Uh, everybody talks about, oh, Willie Cauley Stein was a big scapegoat. Trevor Ariza is an actual scapegoat. Like, I don't understand why uh, you guys hate him so much. Like, and this is before, like, he even dribbled once in a uniform for the Sacramento Kings. So I don't get it. Like, I'm going to. I, so I put on my uh, pro Trevor Reza hat and I'm going to wave the flag proudly. But um, I actually like the acquisition. Um, he's obviously not the same player that he was like five, even like three years ago. He was a really productive uh, shooter and defender for the Houston Rockets. But, um, you know, obviously he's an NBA champion, won a championship with the Lakers in what, 2009, I think. Um, he has a long, long history with Luke Walton. Um, he's supposed to be, you know, like the, the adult in the locker room. He's kind of seen it all. Um, and I like his profile as a long switchable wing. Um, he's not the defend, he's not the defender he used to be. Like there was a couple plays last night where Siakam just kind of like squared him up and blew right by him like he wasn't even there. So that was kind of disappointing, but, um, he's, I think that like he, in a bench role for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes a game, like he can be pretty useful because um, he can defend a lot of different positions um, credibly for um, decent amounts of time. Um, he's still a threat to shoot from three. I, I don't have the statistics on me, like what he's shooting so far, but um, he's making a okay amount. Like I haven't noticed anything like atrocious about his shooting so far. And, yeah, I, I mean, like, he's not taking too many shots outside of the offense. Um, he's not, like, going out to the media and complaining about, like, this or that. You know, he's not being a locker room distraction. So, I guess, like, my whole standing of Reza just stems from, like, well, why does King Swinger hate this guy so much? More than, like, oh, this guy is, like, the best, the best player to walk into Sacramento since Chris Webber. <laughs> The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. 
It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse, and we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it, and, and thank you very much for listening. Right, so you mentioned him falling off on defense a bit, right? I, I mean, he's clearly intelligent on that end. Like you said, he's been in the league for a long time. He's seen it all. But my follow-up question with that is, do you feel like Walton has too much faith in him? It's still really early, and it's sort of understandable but like you mentioned him getting put on Siakam when Harrison, and I noticed that happening at times when Harrison Barnes was in the game, who I thought did a great job on Siakam to start. And they really attacked the Siakam Ariza matchup. And then also um, in the Utah game, I know he guarded Donovan Mitchell at the end there as well, which, you know, maybe Fox is the better option there. So do you feel like um, Walton is almost potentially putting too much trust in him at times? I think that's fair. I don't know what the what the dynamics are between like the coach and like deciding okay who's going to match up with the player at times, but um, with any great offensive player, you want to give him a steady diet of defenders. You don't want to just like throw one guy at him and um, for the entire game because they get figured out. Like player, great offensive players will understand like okay, I have a great defender on me, but eventually they're going to figure out like okay, I can score on him in this or that way. So you want to keep switching up the matchup. So um, whether it's Siakam or um, Donovan Mitchell, you want to like you want to keep the defenders rotating on him. Um, yeah, I but I do see that like it can be an issue like where Walton kind of over overestimates Ariza's defensive abilities at this stage of his career in critical situations. I don't have an example for you, but maybe like just uh, squaring up on. Siakam in ISO situations without any kind of help. Maybe that was like, maybe that's like the biggest example of Walton probably overestimating his defensive abilities. You know, I, you know, you, I think you were speaking kind of general, generally there when you said that you don't understand why we hate him. I, I think that Brandon and I specifically we're really actually really really excited about this signing and have been um pretty positive on Ariza. i'm sure that's not what you i'm sure you meant general like king's fandom because i think that is fair that people aren't loving him um i think it's funny that you you like him as much as you do but uh, I, I certainly don't hate Ariza. I, I was, I mean, cause that signing, especially that one really came out of nowhere. Uh, and Welcome I think to the fan club boys. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the fan club. <laughs> yeah. 
You gotta make jackets. I'll I'll have t-shirts made, and we can pass around buttons and stuff. Absolutely, uh, but I mean that that signing came out of nowhere, and I was absolutely stoked when I saw that for the Kings uh, and their their potential. And and I think part of it is, hey, he's a uh, he's a large wing. He's a big wing. I mean, we can call it a small forward. We can call it a power forward. Like a you know, he's a forward. Um, and this team has not done well in having in just having like competent forwards on their roster for quite some time. Uh, the bar, the trade for Barnes obviously was a significant move in the right direction. And he had himself a really nice game last night. He's had himself a pretty strong start to the season, honestly uh, one of the better starts the season of the Kings players. But I think that I am very much in favor of an Ariza type. And like you said, just a guy that can stay in front of Pascal Siakam. I think that you and I probably agree, and Brendan did as well. We were discussing on you know who to match Siakam up against in our last episode. And we definitely came down squarely on Harrison Barnes. And it does make sense to me that Ariza would be the second best option. And it's just because you need a forward to do that. You just you can't put Holmes on him. Holmes is going to rack up fouls. He's not quick enough uh, laterally, and you can't put like what do you, you you can't like put like Bogdanovich on him. You can't put Beatleads on him. There's just he's a, a nightmare for matchups. And the Ariza type, the archetype that he fills, is hugely important in the modern NBA. Yes, I think that he's you know the age hurts. He, his ability to fill that archetype perfectly, but I think that he's doing a solid job. Um, but let's transition to defense here because I th- I think that's a big reason of why we were excited for uh, Ariza to play last night and why we were excited for him to be able to at least try to slow down a Pascal Siakam type. But um, you know, as we've as we've mentioned before. Defense is the Achilles heel of this team. It doesn't matter if the Kings are running in transition or if they're slowing it down for the half court. This team is getting bodied defensively. Um, you know, and I'll say especially in the half court, the Kings are 29th in half court defense per possession this season. What are they going to do about it? And have you seen, you've mentioned a bunch of improvements on offense. Have you seen any? improvements on defense oh absolutely absolutely I think honestly um after the first few games I think I've seen the most improvement on defense um at the beginning of the season they they were just botching the basics like guys were switching when um uh the other guy was expecting the other defender to like hedge and recover or they were they were just like messing up basic concepts. Like they weren't, um, uh, they weren't icing side pick and rolls. They weren't, um, they weren't listening to each other defensively. They weren't communicating. So I think that like they, they just looked like they had never played together before in the first few games of the season. And, and that was honestly was shocking to me. I was because like, you know, you'd expect an NBA team to display some level of competence, but that was, it was it was pretty horrifying to see like what level they were at. 
slowly as the season has progressed, they've gotten better. Like um, they had that strong defensive performance against Denver. They had a strong perform- defensive performance against Utah. Those aren't easy teams to defend. They use a lot of motion and um, they have great passers and um, they have clever coaches. Um, I think that the defense fell off against Toronto. I think Toronto presented like a particularly difficult um, situation in the sense that um, they are a team with incredible chemistry. Like last season when Kawhi Leonard sat and um, basically this team that the Kings played last night, they were, I forgot what kind of win pace they were at, but it was like above 50 win pace. And when you look at why they were so good, it's specifically because they have incredible chemistry and because they have shooters at every position and um, they have guys that can make plays at every position. So that presents, and um, let me add one more thing. They have Nick Nurse, who is, I think, like one of the most clever offensive coaches in the NBA. Um, they Last night, they did some incredibly advanced, um, they did really clever things to like really disrupt the Kings' defense. Like, um, they would bring the ball into the post, and um, when help would come, they would have the guy instead of, they would have the um, the helper's man, instead of spotting up behind the three-point line, they would have him make a timed cut. And so they got a couple of dunks on, on those kind of situations. They would um, run, pick, and roll, and Lowry would make some absolutely gorgeous passes like out of double teams, and they got some layups out of that. Um, this is a well-oiled offensive machine. And so I think that – I don't think that the defensive troubles that the Kings of Game 1 were facing were the same kind of troubles that they were facing last night. Um, I think that, yeah, things broke down, but at the level that the Kings are at right now, I think it's unrealistic to expect them to stick with a motion offense like the one that Toronto runs without Kawhi. So I'm still seeing progress. Um, I wasn't as I wasn't as like uh, pessimistic on um, the defensive performance last night. I thought that like they they executed their basic concepts pretty well. It's just that you know Toronto they're they're just running on autopilot right now, and they're five and two. Their um, Lowry is shooting absolute lights out. Siakam's playing at like top ten player level. Um, that's just a it's just a tough task to ask um, the Kings at this stage in their development to shut down that offense. So um, yeah, I, I I can see that like you know the numbers probably don't look great, um, but when I'm looking at it at a macro level, like taking into account who the opponent was taking into account um, where the Kings are in terms of like how much practice time they've had, how much, um, how much time they've had to install their basic defensive principles and um, kind of gain a little bit of defensive chemistry with each other. I wasn't as like down on that performance last night as maybe like the numbers would have justified. Right, and they have played some very high-class offenses, like you kind of mentioned, in Denver, Utah twice, Portland, and Toronto last night. And um, 
yeah, part of uh, along with their system, but also just having extremely intelligent basketball players. Like you mentioned, Kyle Lowry, Marcus Um, I, I think that they are fit, great uh, basketball IQ guards and players that are able to pass are going to be able to take advantage of some of these shortcomings of the Kings on defense. Like I think we saw Ricky Rubio do it at times, even though that was um, a little bit of a different Kings defense at the time with a lot of effort. And like you mentioned, miscommunications, which I still think we're seeing a bit. And there were moments like in that Toronto game where I felt like, you know, there was a uh, staggered pin down and Buddy or De'Aaron were going under when they were guarding Lowry and Van Fleet. And, you know, those are elite three-point shooters. Um, but I want to get to the bigs. You know, um, Dwayne Dedman was brought in, and what Sacramento really wanted out of a center was someone that could space the floor and protect the rim. Ideally, as a fit next to Marvin Bagley, and obviously he's gone down. But um, Dedman has been uh, moved to the bench with Rashawn Holmes starting there. And I'm curious on your comparisons between the both of their defenses. I know they've both been struggling with foul trouble a lot and a bit late on rotations, but what's been the difference between those two guys defensively that you've seen? Well, I think that their rim protection is actually kind of similar. I looked at the statistics the other day. I don't know how much they've held up after the Toronto game, but um, they're both uh, opponents are shooting 3% percent three percent field goal percentage worse um against both Denman and um Holmes at the rim. So um I think the rim protection is similar. Um I think that Holmes is just fouling way too much. Like that's part of the that's part of the issue. And um and again like with Deadman I think it's hard to like get a gauge for him because he was brought in to uh to compliment Marvin Bagley and not necessarily um, who the Kings have running at the four spot right now, whether it's Barnes or Bialita. Um, but on the defensive end, um, I think that last night in particular, you kind of saw like the the ceiling that the Kings have defensively with uh, Rashawn Holmes and Nemanja Bialita as the front court. Um, you saw, there was in the first quarter when the Raptors kind of threw a haymaker with 36 points. Um, he, Holmes just wasn't able to stop Marcus Hall at all. Like, and the height difference was pretty shocking. Like Holmes was basically like eye level with his belly button, as Marcus Hall was just kind of like turning around and shooting shots right over him. So, um, and Bielita like you can't put him on Siakam like we discussed earlier. So he was kind of like stuck on the perimeter trying to chase around OG Ananobi who kind of like went wild on the Kings um, off the ball. So um, I think that the Kings will reach their ceiling on defense once uh, Marvin Bagley comes back and um, they can roll, they can try to reintegrate uh, Bagley and Denman together into the defense. Um, Bagley has his own issues defensively, but like physical tools is not one of them. It's all um, Bagley's issues are all in his head, like just becoming a mentally smarter defender, not biting on pump fakes all the time and uh, making the right rotations. So um, those are my basic thoughts on the front court uh, defense right now. But um, I think that Holmes has done an admirable job filling in. Um, and he's in, he's provided a lot a lot of much needed interior scoring at times when the Kings have become a little bit too one dimensional on the perimeter. 
um, he's offered that rule threat, um, that lob threat that kind of opens up uh, three-point shots on the perimeter. Yeah, I think that the front court is definitely where I can see the most defensive improvement coming. I think that uh, just on its face, I feel better about interior defense from Rashawn Holmes, Dwayne Dedman, and a second-year Marvin Bagley, one healthy, than I did about, uh, you know, uh, Costa Kufos, Willie Cauley-Stein, and a first-year Marvin Bagley. Um, the block rate is up significantly. Um, it's it's not – I don't know that the, the numbers are there just yet, but it is – you know, it's a small sample size, and there's been some really rough blowouts in general. Uh, I will say that they are getting worked. Uh, whether whether the process is better or not, I'm not 100% sure. I think it is getting better, but they, they have gotten worked. Um, they've given up at least a field goal percentage of 50%, so 50% or higher field goal percentage in five of their eight games so far um so not ideal there including a really 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 rough night against the charlotte hornets who should not be converting 55 percent of their shots but they did um so i see some upside there but it's not it's just not quite there yet i think that you know i i've got one final question for you omer and uh, I, I think I think what you've brought up, you brought up some great points about the trajectory of this team. But where I differ with you is where they are today. Um, and we know that because we've talked about that, you and I. Um, we agree on their future prospects, but we don't quite agree with where they're at today or where they'll finish this season. But if you'll allow me to to say that you threw a pretty hot take out there to me, that was that the Kings will finish above 500 this season. Do you truly believe that? And are you willing to go on the record and double down on that? I think so. I think so. Um, just based off like how the season has progressed, um, where the team is at now, um, thinking about what ways they can get better, um, thinking about Bagley is going to be thinking about the fact that Bagley is going to be back very soon. Um, I think that, yeah, I think eventually by the end of the season, they'll be around like 500-ish. Um, I think the past five games is more indicative about what this team's um, actual bas- actual ability as an NBA team is. Um, I think that the numbers on aggregate over the course of the season are – understandably bad they're two and six of course but i think that like the first three games i don't think are representative of this team like about like how good they are um i just think that those three games um they were just um, they were still figuring out too many things um they were still behind on um, understanding the offensive and defensive systems that luke walton has been trying to install um i think that it's gotten better as the season has progressed and um they're two and three in the last five games which is i think um pretty i think it's uh, a lot closer to like what this team is actually um they have a positive net rating um mostly thanks to the blowout against the knicks 
Um, but they do also have a quality win in there against um, Utah and some quality losses in there against Denver and um, in Toronto last night. So I think that um, once the schedule eases up a bit, um, once the Kings get Marvin Bagley back, and once they get a little bit more practice time under their belt, um, I think that the next stretch is going to be really important um, because um, after the Hawks game, I think that they only have, I think it's like two games in like span of like six or seven days. I know they play the Lakers uh, next Friday, but um, I can't remember if there, there was a Blazers game in between there. But um, that's a lot of practice time that they have. Um, they're going to be working on um, improving um, their familiarity with the system, familiarity with each other. Um, they have a lot of game film to break down. Um, I just think that it, they're just going to keep getting better and they're going to keep chipping away at the um, the, def- the hole that they were put into after the 0-5 start. And I think eventually um, they will be around like 500 at the end of the season. So, yeah, I'll double down on that on record under penalty of perjury. <laughs> and what about you, Brandon? Do you, th- you think there's a chance, a strong chance of getting above the 500 mark? I would not call it a strong chance. Um, I'm probably leaning more towards like a 36, 37 wins right now. Um, I, I think obviously I'm feeling a lot better than I was after that Charlotte game. And uh, I really was able to spend a lot of time breaking down that Toronto game. And I sort of have started to understand Luke's offense like, Omer was explaining here and that's given me a little bit more faith but I'm still not confident enough to put it at at um, feeling good about breaking 500 what about yourself Rich I know that's kind of what you define as a successful season right breaking 500 specifically yeah no I I've never I mean I think that it in the simplest sense I think that giving I I think the way that I was trying to present it was dumbing it down. Like if we throw out progress altogether and we're just talking about wins and losses that I think that getting a winning season for the first time in 14 years is, and would have been enough of a just like number, like just enough of a win loss accomplishment in it by itself that it wouldn't matter what else happened. But um, no, I've consistently never felt that you can, define true success by a number as simple as wins and losses. It's one of those weird things because at the end of the day, it is what matters, uh, especially to the fans. But, you know, I I do think that, you know, you do got to, you got to trust the process. And I know that that's a very different, we're we're experiencing a very different version of the process than the 76ers did. But, you know, I'm gonna just buy in and I'm gonna have to believe that that Luke Walton and and Vlade Divac are looking at the long term for for creating a winning product down the line and I I think that we've got to come together as a Kings Nation to just accept that it's not going to be happening today we're not this is not the final product so those iron you know those those Kings are getting ironed out uh you know the growing pains we're seeing it uh, as Omer said, there was a lot more growing pains than we had expected in the first three games at the very least. But yeah, going forward, I want to adopt Sean Cunningham's over-under because he really, I think he he predicted for the season 36 wins. 
And I think that he was ahead of the, the eight ball with all of us. And I'll take 36. But uh, with that, want to thank you so much, Omer, for joining us. Um, everybody, please go check Omer out on Twitter. Read him on Sacktown Royalty. And uh, I, I know you, you change your Twitter a lot, but he's the, the handle stays the same or the at stays the same. It's at O-K-H-A-N-S-T-R. Omer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for having me on. Shout out to King of Reddit. I read you guys every day. Don't think I don't. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we're the official podcast of the Sacramento Kings Reddit. If you guys want to submit questions there to us, I think we're going to be answering those on the next episode. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Everyone be sure to follow him. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again in the next couple of days.